Great morning, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini of the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn, Seton Hall University, class of 1985. My great pleasure to be back with you again today. The purpose of our show, Thank God for Monday, is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times. Motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you to utilize the information we provide today, take full accountability for the decisions you make and the resulting outcome. Now, one of the goals of our show, thank God for Monday, is to introduce role models. Role models of people who take very bold steps in their work lives. This is a very special time, as Friday, August 26th, is Women's Equality Day. And as such, we are honored today to have with us a most special guest. Her name is Alexandra McGrory. Alexandra runs McGrory and Co. Consulting as the lead human resources consultant and serves as a certified diversity professional as well as a certified professional coach. She is also the author of the timely and enlightening book, Bridging the Gap, Reducing Gender Bias in the Workplace. Great morning and welcome to Thank God for Monday, Alexandra. Thank you. Good morning to you, too. Thank you ever so much. It's a real pleasure having you on with us this morning. Well, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Kindly share with the listeners and I from what city and state you're speaking from today. I am in Marlton, New Jersey. Oh, well, so you're in New Jersey as well. I am. Terrific, certainly. Sadly, we've only got about 30 minutes. So we could spend hours talking with you about your incredible background, this super book. But before we delve really very much into the book, we want to find out more about you. So please kindly share with the listeners and me a little bit about yourself, please. Absolutely. So as you introed me, um, I am an HR consultant with McGrady and Co. I launched the firm with my late husband, Michael. Um, we have two kids, Lucas and Ava. Lucas is seven. Ava is five. Um, definitely keeps me busy outside of McGrady and Co. Um, they, they're they in the full swing of summer with sports and, and we're loving it. Um, Outside of being an HR consultant, love spending my time with family, love spending my time volunteering, and I have been a resident of New Jersey all of my life, so I'm really excited to be here with you today. Uh, the honor, as I say, is all ours. I had the great honor for 47 years, the first 47 years of my life uh, living in New Jersey, and there really is a, no place in the world like it, especially where you are in the southern part. Yes. That's a beautiful, beautiful part of the state. Now, you mentioned you're in the world of human resources. Help us out, please, Alexander. What made you to decide to enter this world of human resources? 
Yeah. So if you look back when I was in college, you would say, how did you get to human resources? And I asked myself that too. Um, I went into college to be a journalist and then 2008 happened. Um, and sadly, some of the newspapers started to shutter and I felt like, while I'm here, I better change my major. Um, and so I went into pre-med because at the time I was working in healthcare and I thought I was going to be a doctor. And that dream uh, stopped real quick when I had to take anatomy and physiology. Um, and so left to my own devices, I went into a general communication study and my minor was in organizational development, which falls in the realm of human resources. And so I started to get introduced to human resources in college and really loved the topic. Um, when I was out of college, I was still working in healthcare. Um, and one of the directors that I worked with went to a different healthcare facility and they said, you know what? I moved over here. I think you would really love it. I loved my time working with you and I'd recommend you if you want to take uh, the chance with working with the HR director here. I didn't formally work in HR before, um, so I knew it was a long shot, but I was hired into the role. And that's really what started my HR career. I worked with a fabulous mentor who I'm really lucky to call my friend now, Shelly Azen. She was my first boss in HR. Um, And so I'm really lucky to be 10 years, 10 plus years later, still working with her um, from a consulting perspective. So it was a great introduction into the field and I've been there ever since. Uh, We are blessed that you are, that's for sure. Now, as I mentioned in the introduction, you are a certified diversity professional. Yes. Please share with us, please, about all your experience in the diversity and inclusion space, which has never been more important than today. Yeah, definitely important today. I think it's always important, but definitely at the forefront today. Um, When I worked in corporate, there was a huge focus over the last several years amplified by the pandemic around diversity and inclusion. And I started to see individuals want to put together business resource groups, which would target certain groups of individuals, diverse groups of individuals to make them feel more included and belonging at work. We wanted to put together strategies around bringing diverse individuals into companies. And so I really started to get interested in how do we make where we work and who we work with more diverse, more inclusive, and ensure folks feel belong. And so I went um, into the certification program to be a certified diversity professional, to be able to bring better strategies and new learnings to my corporate role. And I've been lucky enough to bring that throughout consulting as well. This is the first time I've ever met a certified diversity (laughs) professional. Is this something new, Alexandra? And what goes into this? So there must be some requirements. There are, yeah. So not necessarily new. There's about 2,000 plus of us now, Um, but it is a 40-hour learning intensive module. Um, You have to do projects. You have to work with advisors. And so you have to, you are required to have 40 hours of training. And then you sit for an exam at the end of your training to be able to be a certified diversity professional. And that covers anywhere from government and federal regulations to best demonstrated practices in the field of diversity and inclusion. And at the end of the exam, if you pass, you are a certified diversity professional. Wow. It's very rigorous. It is. And, you know, I appreciate that um, because it is such an important topic. You want to make sure you have the right understanding and learning, always learning, um, but the right foundations for success in that role. 
is this through like a city or a state, like some of the other licenses, or is this done by a company? Where does even one go if they were interested in pursuing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's the National Diversity um, Platform Association. You would go and seek them out. Um, it's not a city or a state, but it is an organization, um, and you're certified through them. Wow, oh, that's exciting. So listeners, anyone who's interested, that sounds like an incredible path mm -hmm. to try to pursue. Now, speaking of incredible, let's shift gears because we want to talk all about bridging the gap, reducing gender bias in the workplace. My goodness, Alexandra, what was the impetus for writing this great book? Yeah, so I would say it's definitely a personal story for me. I really wanted to write a book, not just for folks in the workplace, not for HR people like me, but for anybody that was interested in the topic. Um, and so I was a vice president in corporate before I was the age of 30. Um, and wow. so I thought I made it. I uh, definitely wow. thought I made it, was really excited. And then all of a sudden I wasn't uh, because I combated imposter syndrome. I was sitting around boardroom tables with people 20 or 30 years older than me um, that were generally male. And I was asking myself, why am I here? What am I doing? I feel like an imposter. And somebody told me, you know, you keep interviewing for the role you already have. Um, you hear the same things you want to say coming out of other people's mouths, and you're not saying them because you're getting stuck in your head. And it was truly coming back to imposter syndrome, which is one of the things that we battle from a gender equity perspective, that question of why am I here? Did I really make it? Did I earn the role that I have? Um, and so it got me into gender studies and some of the issues that women in the workplace combat on a daily basis that our male counterparts don't necessarily, not that they don't, but don't necessarily feel as much as we do. You've used a phrase a couple of times, I apologize, I'm not familiar with it all, imposter syndrome? Yes. So it is, for us on this yeah, it is essentially feeling like you do not belong, like you are an imposter in the role that you're in, that you got there, not based on your merits, but just because. And that's what I felt like when I got that role after that sense of excitement that I, I felt like I made it now was, oh my gosh, I now manage people that are older than me, that have more experience than me. What are they going to say? Um, I'm sitting in a boardroom with people who have years of experience on me. What are they going to think? Why do they think I got this role? And so it's all of those questions that creep up that you're not good enough, that you didn't earn it um, in that role. But clearly you worked extremely hard, extremely smart. I did, yeah. Absolutely earned this great position and very responsible position that you were in. Tell us a little bit more, if you don't mind. How were you feeling about this? Yeah, and so I think the logical part of me knew that, right? Knew I worked really hard, that I put in a lot of long hours to be able to take that promotion. I think, but the emotional part got to me because I was seeing people that didn't look like me, that didn't talk like me, um, that were in gen different generations than me in my team now. And so I didn't have the same sense of, yes, I belong here like I did in other roles. And so it is about that. How do we make teams more diverse? How do we ensure that there's different perspectives, that there's different viewpoints, that there's greater balance of gender equity on leadership teams so that there is more of a comfort um, in taking on larger roles for women in the workforce? If you don't mind me asking, did you get a sense 
that, and I'd like to back up even a little further. Were you now directly managing people that you had been working with? I was, yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So definitely complex. Um, I was managing team members that were my peers before I moved into this role. And so it was a whole new relationship that I walked into. Wow. Okay. Do you have a sense that they felt that you were well-equipped for this, that they were generally excited that you were in this key role or... Was it that, gee, they were passed over or what happened here? I'm just curious. Yeah, I think it was a mix of both. Um, I think I had folks that were generally really excited for me. And I think there were individuals that thought, oh, wow, you know, I think I could have did that job too. And I respected that because I think they could have. But the way that I approached it after I got past my initial shock was, I'm here for a reason and you're here for a reason. I'm here to learn from you just like you are to learn from me. And so together, we'll be able to accomplish what we need to accomplish. Ah, that's incredible. What a story you had. Let's talk about the areas of focus. Mm -hmm. Are there two or three that you really like to share with the listeners today? Absolutely. So I think the first one is just my personal story. Um, I grew up in a rocky uh, home life. Um, I went to college. I was able to get out of college and be really successful in my career. And along the way, I battled um, with mental illness. I battled with um, bulimia. And so I really wanted to be able to share with the readers that you don't have to come from a really strong background or you don't have to come from a really affluent background to be able to make it in the field that you want to make it in. And so it was a really personal story for me. Um, I also share a lot about my family, my immediate family now, and that I lost my husband last year, but he was a great um, influence for this book. And so I wanted to be able to balance the personal and the professional to make it a book that you understood a little bit about me and my background and where my diversity diversity of thought comes from to be able to speak on the topic. And then I think the second area is we're in a pandemic, although it feels like we're on the tail end of it now and and other things are happening, but the pandemic really shaped the way that we look at gender equity right now. I think all of a sudden, one day in March, we were sent home and people became caregivers at the same time they were trying to work. And that could have been with children. It could have been with older adults. Um, You were balancing home life and everything that goes into that with being a nine to five role. And then it became a role that never ended because you were at home again, unless you were a frontline worker. And so how did the pandemic shape the experience of women at home while they were still trying to work? And so we dive into that a bit in the book as well. I'm not the greatest at math, but if I've done my math correctly, you had at home a three-year-old and a five-year-old? I did. I had the kindergartner going into virtual school and then someone who wasn't quite ready for pre-K just yet. (laughs) How did you balance all that with this incredible work that you're doing? It was a lot. I will say very thankful to my husband who swooped in and I was really lucky, was a caregiver immediately when he was in there. Um, But I would say, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody pretended that they didn't have that home life, right? We were shocked when a child popped up on a Zoom screen or you heard a dog bark. And then all of a sudden we weren't anymore because we realized we were humans with a life in a house that we're stuck in. Um, And so I would say at the beginning, it was a lot of shushing and telling them that I'll be with them in a minute. And then all of a sudden it was like, no, you know, I have kids and I have to deal with 
work and, and school and all of the things that go along with that. And if that means I'm going to get back to you a little bit later, that's what that means right now. And I'm a person. If I perceive correctly from what people told me that a lot of this really fell on the mother, on the woman who was at home. Yeah. So I will say I was definitely in a unique situation, right? Having someone that um, was a caregiver there with me that, that balanced that role with me, but there was a lot that fell on the woman by nature who was now home, who was doing housework, who was working, who was either taking care of a parent or a child or both at the same time, especially in the early days of COVID where it really was a true intensive lockdown where you weren't going out places. Um, and so there was definitely a lot that fell on the woman at home, um, especially in a single parent situation, if they had caregiver or a single caregiver sure. responsibility. Wow. We have a motto here at Seton Hall University, hazards at forward advance despite <laughs> difficulties. You are an incredible role model, Alexandra. Well, thank you. As at forward. Now, we just talked about the areas of focus uh, of the book. Is there an area or two of learning you really want the readers to take away from this great Yeah, and I think whether you're in the workplace or you're at home, understanding as a male, male counterpart your privilege right? That you have the ability to either sponsor or mentor a woman in the field and bring them up with you so that we lessen the effects of imposter syndrome. And that can really just look like, hey, would would you want to have a mentor relationship or, or do you feel like you'd benefit from having a mentor in this area? Um, being a promoter of your employee resource groups, if you have them, um, and joining the women's group, if you have one in the workforce. And so I really think there's an opportunity to be able to use your voice uh, as a male counterpart in the workplace to lift up women into leadership roles. I'm here at St. Francis College in beautiful Brooklyn, and I was in the Career Center for many mm -hmm. years and now in a mission ministry interfaith dialogue role. But we would talk a lot with the young students about mentoring. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they would embrace it and sometimes not. Share with us a little bit your thoughts, Alexandra, the importance of mentors, especially for younger college students at this point. Absolutely. I would not 100% be here today in the role that I'm in without fabulous mentors. Um, wow. And I can say that with full certainty. Um, I was really lucky to have them along my career in different areas. Um, and it's not just learning the business. It's learning who you are as a person. And they can provide you with guidance and experience that you don't necessarily have. Um, and sure, you have to make your own mistakes and you have to learn your own path. But to be able to have someone that's gone through it before, that's seen it before, to be able to tap on their shoulders and talk through a tough problem is huge um, from a career or a school perspective. So you're recommending that young people, particularly those in college, uh, seek out some mentors? Right? Yes, absolutely. And I think it's great too, because it expands your network as, as you're coming out of college. Um, networking has been huge in my career. Um, I've been able to move into various jobs because of the people that I knew or that I had relationships with based on those mentoring relationships. Um, and so I am definitely an advocate for a mentor and it's not always going to be a fit. So if you have a mentor relationship where you feel like it didn't work out, that doesn't mean mentoring isn't for you or being a mentee isn't for you. It's just that you're either not in the right place or in the right mentor-mentee relationship. And so I always advise try it out again. Oh, terrific advice. 
I think I know the answer to this next question because the audience here, thank God for money, knows I'm a rapidly aging baby boomer. <laughs> but this book resonated with me. I have a sense you wrote this book not only for women. Is that right? That is, yeah. I, I really wanted to make sure that one it felt inclusive so that if you weren't a male that was reading the book, it wasn't, here's all the things you're doing wrong and, and here's what you need to do right to help women, right? It's, here's what's going on in, in the world and here's what we're experiencing and here's how you may experience it differently. Here's my perspective and here's what I would ask that you take with you. So it was really written for anyone to be able to pick up and read. Ah, that's beautiful. And at the end of the interview, we're certainly going to ask you where our loyal listeners can find a, yeah. a book, certainly. Uh, time is getting a little short. We've got about nine minutes, but I still have some important questions to sure. ask. Sure. Thank you very, very much. Looking forward, what are a couple of things that a team or organization can do really to drive a more equitable workforce for women? Absolutely. What do you suggest, please? Yeah. So I think the big one that a lot of organizations are drawn to right now is equitable pay, making sure that the same pay is received for the same work across the organization. Now, that's a really sizable undertaking. So what else can you do? Right. Um, and I think it can be starting small. Do you have a women's resource group at your organization? Do you have a group where women can come and continue to learn and, and be educated on topics that impact them? Um, do you have mentoring um, programs that are facilitated and geared towards women moving up in leadership? Um, and then I think you can even start small in the way that you advertise your jobs and your organization. Are you advertising or using words that tend to um, advertise to males over females? Do you use terms like rock star or are you overly techie in job descriptions? Um, so really just thinking from an inclusive mindset from the start of that new hire or employee experience would go far. I perceive then the HR department must be critical. Yes. Organization. And I'm not just saying that because I'm an HR consultant. <laughs> You must really open the eyes and the hearts of HR professionals. Yeah, you know what? I, I think once I felt comfortable with myself, and that's a journey that I'm still going through today, I really try to bring towards my clients, here's how I would feel if I was a member of your organization, right? At some point in time, I'm going to walk away from this engagement and leave you with materials or things to do to continue to move your organization forward. But here's today how I would feel if I was part of your organization and here's how I would want to feel knowing your culture and how do we get there. And so that's really what I try to impart on any of the relationships that I have with clients and organizations. I'm always fascinated with people like you, Alexandra, who seem to have this incredible innate ability to walk into an organization and sense what the culture is. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? You know, I've always been blessed with just being able to feel it. Like I can walk in, I have one client right now and I walked in and I knew right away, I was like, you know, if I was advertising for you, I would say, it feels like a family here. There's your tagline. Everybody knows everyone. If that's the kind of culture that you're seeking, that's what I would go with. And we don't feel that in the way that you're advertising right now. Um, and so it's really taking a step back not always being the one that's talking, really assessing what's going on in the room, understanding how things are perceived um, and situations 
are within an organization and then being able to formulate a response to that. Wow, that is just, just incredible. Now, as I said in the opening, you're a certified diversity professional, mm -hmm. you're a certified professional coach, you run your own consulting firm. This is gonna sound like a very stupid question, but and besides the fact you're a great author of this wonderful book, what's next for you? Is there anything next? <laughs> you're so young, you have so much energy and passion. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things we really love to do, and, and we started it in my late husband's name, is volunteering in our local community. And so we're closest to Philadelphia. And so that's the community we generally tend to support. Um, we've been lifelong uh, greater Philadelphia residents. And so we have a lot of passion around our, our city and our, our towns. And so one of the things that we do and will continue to do is support our local YMCA in Michael's name. Um, he was a huge, huge techie um, and oh. they have a tech center for teens in the city. And so the teens can come there, learn how to use the technology, learn how to code, learn how to produce music and, and just really get ready for careers in the city or outside of the city. And so that was huge for him and that's what we wanna take forward. Oh, oh, that is absolutely so beautiful. Very Franciscan. It is indeed <laughs> that we receive. Absolutely. Our model of that, no question about that. As we said in the opening, Women's Equality Day, Friday, August 26th. Alexandra, help the listeners and I out. How do you recommend we celebrate? And we really need to celebrate this wonderful yeah. day. Absolutely. So, one, I think it's Take a minute and take stock of your internal thinkings, the way that you approach situations, the way that you're a supporter of women's equality, or if you want to get started as a supporter, think about ways that you can do that. I think there's various organizations, and it can be something small, um, promoting women role models. Um, if you want to start a mentorship relationship or you're a mentee who wants a mentor, think about something like that. Um, support. Um, there's various women's organizations that could use your support out there. It was just a quick Google search and you can find quite a few. Um, but I, I would definitely recommend you can do something small or large, but just take action on that day. Wow. That is powerful advice. No question about it. And uh, I'm going to make this a special day this year in particular. No doubt about that. Uh, we've saved the most important question for last. From where can our loyal listeners purchase this great book, Bridging the Gap? reducing gender bias in the workplace. How can they best follow you, Alexander? Absolutely. So the book is available on Amazon in Kindle, hardcover or paperback. So you're able to access it on Amazon and you can follow us on our various social media platforms. We're McGrady and Company on Instagram and Facebook. And then our website is mcgandcompanyconsulting.com. Terrific. Listeners, no excuse at all. This book is all over the place. You can easily follow Alexandra. May I make a suggestion for you, please? What a way to celebrate Women's Equality Day. Buy this book. Not only one for yourself, buy one for someone you know, maybe a boss who needs to change his or her ways regarding equality with women. Indeed, let's get this book out there. Uh, let's get it into the workplaces because this book indeed will make the workplace better. And that's what we want to do for the rest of 2022, 23, and beyond. We need now more than ever inclusion, equality, equity, diversity, 
And this is a book that'll go a long way in bringing it into your organization. So please, please, please buy one for yourself, buy one and share the good. Alexander McGroy, thank you, thank you, thank you for being with us today. As we said before, you are a role model of Hazard Z Forward, advanced despite difficulty. It's amazing the challenges that you've overcome, not only to survive, but to thrive. We are honored to have you on, thank God, for Monday today. We wish you continued great success in this consulting company, in your certified diversity professional work, your coaching work, volunteering, uh, all these great, great things that you've undertaken and continue to undertake. Well, thank you. It was an honor to be here. Listeners, guess what? We're almost out of time. But before we leave, we've got a very exciting announcement for you in that you've been waiting for our new website, thankgodformonday.com. I'm very, very happy to advise as a result of a couple of people's outstanding uh, role modeling here at Seton Hall and efforts, uh, we are back online. So please take a look at our new website, www.thankgodformonday.com. Uh, give us some feedback. There's a contact page, so write us a little note. And indeed, uh, follow us. Of course, we're on the Twitter, the Facebook, the Tiki Taki, the Instagram, LinkedIn. And uh, let's keep in touch, certainly, and we'll continue to make suggestions for guests and topics and all these kinds of things, because we are here for you. Listeners, we are now out of time. Greg saying our hope and prayer is that when you wake up on Monday morning, just like Alexander does, you'll say, thank God for Monday. Until next week for another episode of Thank God for Monday. Have a great week, everyone. Bye-bye.